Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Friday, October the 21st, 2022. We're having an airline day today, coincidentally, although these things always seem to oddly enough, in uncanny ways, come together. Earlier today, I talked with Anne Hood. She has a new memoir out called Fly Girl, which was about her experience as a, a TWA stewardess in the glamorous 70s when airline food was good and we all had fun flying in contrast with today. Um, in my conversation with Anne, we talked a little bit about um, the safety of flying, and we agreed rather ironically that even if we're all so miserable flying these days, it's incredibly safe. It's very, very rare for there to be crashes. Whereas in the glamorous 70s, when the food was good and the alcohol flowed online uh, on, on board, uh, it was a much more dangerous business flying. Still not that dangerous, but nonetheless dangerous. That said, of course, there still are terrible airline crashes, catastrophes as they happen because they involve the killing of the deaths of, 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 of numbers of people. There was uh, you know, quite recently in October 2018, the Lion Air Flight 610 that went down uh, in Jakarta. And then a, a year later, uh, Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302 went down. It was the worst um, domestic airline catastrophe in Ethiopian history. What United both these crashes is that the planes involved uh, were Boeing 737 Maxes. And that is the subject of our uh, conversation today with the author of Flying, By, Flying Blind, Peter Robeson, a very distinguished airline journalist. Um, it's a best selling book, it's just out in paperback. The 737 Max tragedy and the fall of Boeing. Uh, Peter, who appropriately enough is joining us from Seattle, airline town, Boeing town. Uh, Peter, before we talk about the book itself, am I right to, to assume, and I'm a frequent flyer, so I hope I'm right, that flying is astonishingly safe these days? Yes, it's it's gotten safer and safer every year. Uh, and that's what made the two MAX crashes so shocking. It was a brand new aircraft. And within the space of five months, there were two fatal crashes and it, it led to a 20 month grounding. Uh, so that that's really what the book is about. It's trying right. to understand. So the, 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 the I, I want to get into that. But all these books tend, and your book's quite critical of Boeing. We in our culture, we tend to be very critical of industries of companies, should we at least credit the airline industry with manufacturing air, air, aircraft that don't crash? I know that the book is quite critical of Boeing, but the industry itself deserves some credit, doesn't it, Peter? Uh, certainly. You can you can look at, you know, there was one year when uh, there were no fatal, you know, uh, crashes of a commercial aircraft. So, um, certainly, you can you can look at uh, the record and how it's improved. Uh, that wasn't the subject of my book, though. It was about how did this. Right. No, no, I, I understand that. But it, for me, it's an interesting subject. Um, and, and should the credit go to these companies or regulation or a mix of everything? 
Uh, I think it's a mix of uh, both. And, and I think, you know, the, uh, the thread that unites it is uh, you have people doing the right thing. And when people do the right thing, uh, good things happen. Well, they don't always happen. That's the unfortunate conclusion of your book, Flying Blind, the 737 MAX tragedy and the fall of Boeing. What went wrong, Peter, with the 737 MAX? Uh, what happened was that Boeing uh, did not uh, follow its own processes. There was a uh, famous statement by uh, the former CEO of Boeing, Dennis Mullenberg, who was asked what went wrong. Uh, you know, was, was there a technical slip or gap? And he said there were no technical slips or gaps. Uh, we followed exactly the processes we've always followed that have led to successful aircraft. Uh, that was shown through congressional investigations, through you know, testimony by multiple people who worked at Boeing that, uh, you know, Boeing had submitted incomplete work. It, it hadn't finished its own evaluation of the software that ultimately uh, caused the crash. How complicit is um, or was uh, Mullenberg and the senior executives at Boeing for this catastrophe? It's, it's a really interesting question. I, I, what ultimately happened in the investigation uh, was that Mullenberg was very harshly criticized uh, and uh, the company paid a, a, a fine. Uh, there were two uh, low-ranking pilots who were scrutinized. Ultimately, only one was charged, uh, and they were uh, looked at for representations they'd made to the FAA. However, even after the even before the second crash, Dennis Mullenberg was well aware of the um, of the misgivings that these uh, pilots had about how much information they'd shared with the FAA. And it's, it's at that point where you can really start to look at Mullenberg's behavior and, and ask, um, why didn't he get to the ground truth of what happened? Why didn't he ground the aircraft after the first crash? And really, why didn't the uh, why didn't the government investigation look at, uh, you know, potential fraud case against Mullenberg and other executives who were making these representations to their investors and to the public that the, the Max was a safe plane. Is your book angry? I mean, you don't, you, you don't look an angry guy. You don't sound angry, but you don't sound happy with this story. It's not a, a story that, that ends well, is it? I mean, obviously you have uh, these catastrophic crashes that those are given, but it's not as if you're suggesting Boeing hasn't cleaned shop on this. Uh, I, I mean, it, it was a, it was a, it's a, it's a, ultimately it's a sad, you know, story. It's, it's a, it's a frustrating story, uh, because you, you look at, uh, I looked at what might've been, you know, what, what might've happened. There were opportunities to prevent these tragedies. And, um, it, it's a personal story for me because I, um, started covering Boeing more than 20 years ago. And that was a point when Boeing was, um, you know, flying high and it, it had a, uh, more than 60% of the aircraft market was widely respected. And that's when I, um, got to know some of the executives running Boeing and I, I became convinced and other people I talked to, uh, became convinced that, um, these executives were really in thrall of, uh, the general electric style of management, uh, which is ultimately cost cutting and, and the bottom line. So can we blame Jack Welsh for all this? Uh, you can read the book and and see the man who uh, killed American capitalism. So, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's no, it's no coincidence that David 
David Gellis, who wrote that book, also um, covered Boeing and, and wrote about the, the tragedies. And I, it's no coincidence that an, another reporter looked at this story, looked very deeply at this story and found that if you follow the chain of events, it, it leads back to this shift in the culture of the company. It went from being an engineering first, engineering dominated company to finding ways to remove senior engineers, to change the structure so that there were fewer checks and balances. So are, are you suggesting um, are you suggesting, Peter, that in a way this tragedy is a parable of American capitalism? Yeah, that's that's a really good way of putting it. I, it's um, another uh, book that's out recently is um, D- David Enrich's uh, Servants of the Damned about uh, big law firms and how they've. Yeah, we had him on the show. Ish. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a, you know, that's a fascinating story, too. And it's a, a firm like Jones Day, which had this, uh, you know, in the in the book, there's an example of a, uh, of a gas explosion in Cleveland and the and the, the firm, you know, con- convinces the gas company to do the right thing. Um, and, and that was uh, that that example stuck with me because that's what I found in researching Boeing, that you had cases deeper in its history where Boeing did the right thing. And, and it had a crash of a 747 in 1985 and within a month admitted fault. Um, Boeing had the opportunity to do that with the first MAX crash and did not. Were the problems or are the problems with the 737 also a reflection of cost cutting of what some people might call neoliberal stretches in terms of the management of Boeing, of a focus exclusively on profitability? People also, yeah, people call it late stage capitalism. Uh, It's always called late stage capitalism. It was even called late stage capitalism 100 years ago, Peter, but I know what you mean. Right. When will will this stage end is the question. Um, We call it very late stage. (laughs) And then eventually very, very late. but um, you, you saw that even with the messaging from the um, management of Boeing to the to the board that when the Max was proposed, the selling point was that the Max would uh, be very cheaply produced. That and and the the tagline to the board and the presentation was um, stingy with a purpose. And the engineers that I talked to for the book um, said that that mentality filtered its way through the program. That when they uh, proposed um, a safety enhancement. Uh, it was shot down, and the idea, uh, the, the the message repeatedly from management was, uh, you know, that any change had to buy its way onto the airplane, so that you know any changes were inextricably linked to the costs. Yeah, and listening to you on this makes it an even sadder, more outrageous parable. Given that the two crashes, one was in. Jakarta and Indonesia, the other in Ethiopia. Um, So the people who lost their lives, the people who were hurt most by this, obviously a long way from Seattle in the developing world. Is that coincidental, Peter? Well, it's I I suppose what you're getting at is is what what, what was the the management of those airlines? Yeah, I mean, just listening to you, the the fact that I mean, the, the 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 max is wasn't there, you know, high-end, expensive. It was the, it was the mass-produced um, airplane that presumably they sold to Ethiopian airlines or Indonesian airlines who themselves were also in the cost-cutting business. So 
it extends down the line and ultimately there is this catastrophe there there was uh it you you could make the case that uh there there were contributing factors you know certainly um in indonesia that the indonesian airlines um had you know been cited multiple times by international regulators for their maintenance practices there were um some you know maintenance steps that people criticized you know lion air for not completing later um but the and and it was interesting that boeing uh took you know took that to such an extent that they put out a press release after the um initial indonesian report that um explicitly said that the chain of errors started you know at, at the airline um however mm. the ethiopian crash showed that uh the, the airworthiness directive the, the the steps that boeing claimed that pilots would be able to follow were not able to be followed and there were uh, you know, many pilots in the U.S., you know, Sully among them, American Airlines, who, who said that, you know, given that set of a set of um, circumstances, they would have struggled to, to control the plane as well. I mean, ironically, Boeing, Boeing lost on every front. I mean, their, their losses, quite literally losses, they surged apparently to Recently to uh, this week, the uh, the numbers were announced to $3 billion, of which I think $1.3 billion of those are associated with 737 max losses. So they paid in every sense, Boeing, for this mismanagement of this of this aeroplane. Is that fair? Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's stunning. It's it's you know, it's financial, it's it's reputation, uh, it's you know, with the, you know, jobs of some of the senior executives who, who ultimately, uh, you know, Dennis Mullenberg also just recently had to pay a million dollar fine, you know, for his statements after the first crash. Um, and it's, I, I think that's why it, it, it took a long time, even, uh, even after the second crash for, for it to sink in with people, you know, just how badly, you know, Boeing had mismanaged this situation and, and, and really, um, now, now it's it's what a what a hole it's dug. It's it's you know quite far behind Airbus in in sales, and it, the Max is still not flying in China, which used to be um, you know Boeing's biggest customer for single aisle aircraft. Boeing earnings are coming out this week. How how is Boeing? I, I don't follow its stock. How how was the company held up in the markets and broadly uh, over since since this? Well, it 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 had um, it it was uh, experiencing some of the benefits of uh, of late late stage capitalism under <laughs> Mullenberg until 2018 that the stock had almost tripled um, and then even after the first crash the the stock held up um, but then since the second it's been a, um, a a drop into the and especially when the pandemic hit the the stock dropped you know well below. Um, well, well into the hundreds, and and now it's at it's in the low hundreds from you know as much as four hundred a, a few years ago. You talked about the local reaction. You're talking to me from Seattle. Anyone who's ever been to Seattle, particularly if you fly in, it's impossible to miss the association, close association with Boeing and Seattle. Seattle Airport seems to be almost like an extension of the Boeing factory. How, how has all this been received, uh, digested in in Seattle? It's, uh, I mean, it's like a friend is, has, has, uh, you know, is very sick. It's, it's, um, 
Well, it's it, not so it, much you know, sick as a friend's gone wrong, isn't it? Right, right. As, you know, betray. It's a betrayal. You know, ultimately, um, it it um, uh, it you know there there's a um, phrase that you know if it ain't Boeing, I, I ain't going. Uh, which which people would proudly say that Alaska Airlines, the local airline, you know, for for a long time has had a saying on its uh, on the side of its airplane, proudly all Boeing. Um, so you, 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 you know, you feel it viscerally, you, you know, people who, uh, their, their parents, their grandparents worked for Boeing. Um, and, and it's been a shift from, you know, like all of corporate America, it's, it's gone from being a, a, a sort of a company that had a family feel to a company that, uh, could move anywhere, you know, if, if the costs were right. And it's, and it started doing that. It started moving, uh, a lot of production to South Carolina. Um, it's, you, you know, closed a lot of factories, uh, in, in this area. Is it inviting much late, late capitalist critique from local people? Uh, Seattle has always been a um, a, a strong union town, certainly more progressive. Are people seeing this narrative in, in the context of a broader crisis of American capitalism, of the inability of these huge, unaccountable corporations to behave themselves? Well, so certainly, and and um, I mean, one example is that you know Boeing was given a huge you know tax break to locate uh 777 uh a new version of the 777 uh locate production here and ultimately which is an, a, a higher end product obviously than the 730 yeah and ultimately that uh work has gone to south carolina so that's another example of the betrayal um you 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 you, you find you know people here you know look at um a company like Amazon, which, you know, certainly has uh, some issues that people talk about in terms of labor, but one big mildly, difference, right? <laughs> but one big difference with Amazon is that um, they haven't, you know, for, for, for many, many years, um, Jeff Bezos and Amazon didn't do share buybacks. They, they reinvested their profits into the, into the company and Boeing, you know, under its uh, current management has taken the opposite approach. And at, at one point, uh, in the development of the Max, it was sending, it was spending eighty percent of its free cash on on dividends and and buybacks. So, it they've you know as I said, people have felt it. They felt that the money is going to shareholders. It's not going to workers in the community uh, the way it did in Boeing's early days. Yeah, you mentioned Mulholland, who you even suggested Mullenberg. Uh, sorry, Mullenberg, the former CEO. Maybe I don't know if there's a criminal investigation, but he is compromised on on many fronts. Looking at him, for people watching, he looks like the classic white, faceless male corporate executive. And what's astonishing is that he's been replaced by a guy who looks almost like his twin, David <laughs> Calhoun. What's going on at Boeing? Why don't they get it? Why can't they reinvent themselves? They're they're both cut from the GE stamp is the is the the, they the, look, the like, they look like twins when i was putting the slides together actually of calhoun and and mullenberg i had to check a couple of times because it looked to me like i was putting the same slide up yeah and and they they've you know Cal, calhoun has tried to um you know he's realized that 
safety at this point is paramount and Boeing can't stand another crash. So it should so always has... be paramount. I mean, if you're manufacturing aircraft, uh, Peter, you would, I mean, you would think that, but you for, have to for say that years, as a problem, right? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And that, and that's, as people pointed out, you know, the, the fact that, uh, safety wasn't mentioned in the annual proxy statement for several years. And then suddenly, you know, uh, once Calhoun took over, appeared, you know, dozens of times, you know, there, there wasn't a safety committee on, on the board. And, and Calhoun, like, like a lot of Boeing managers uh, in recent years, has come from GE. He cut his teeth with, with Jack Welch. Um, and uh, you, you also see, you know, more recently uh, in talking about a new version of the, the MAX, Boeing wants to have uh, new versions um, certified with older flight control systems, even though a, a congressional law, you know, had, right. they're looking at uh, the certification. Yeah. So you're saying that they even haven't learned now on the MAX? Yeah. And, and, and what, what I was going to say is that Cal Calhoun in talking about that, um, you know, made the claim that uh, it's a, it's a documentation issue. It, it tells you it's not the product, you know, it's, 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 it's not the product, it's just processes. And it, it, it was a comment that, it, you know, again, seemed to denigrate the regulators who are, are not, you know, just trying to get Boeing to check boxes. They, they want, uh, you know, according to, you know, some great reporting by Andrew Tangel at the Wall Street Journal and others, they, they want Boeing to uh, complete its assessments of the plane to complete the human factors assessments that they're, you know, um, supposed to be doing with great rigor. We did a show earlier this week with not Jack Welsh, David Welsh, who has a new book out on Mary Barra and GM charging ahead, calls it the reinvention of an American icon. Um, I don't know whether Boeing needs a female CEO, but they certainly need a reinvention. Do they need to reinvent their brand, Peter, do you think? Is it that serious, the crisis there? I, th I mean, it's one one strain of thought I've I've heard is that they um, they have they have never recovered from uh, the 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 loss of Alan Mulally, who went to Ford. You know, ultimately, this was somebody who um, you know understood how to motivate people and understood the need to uh, you know also uh, reach out to workers and communities better than other people. Um, so, you know, I, some of the reporting in the book is that I, you know, at the time that Mulally was being considered for the job, uh, it ultimately went to Jim McNerney, who's another uh, Jack Welch protege. Is he, um, does he, is he tall with blonde hair? And he, he is. He's, uh, he look, he would, if you put his picture up, he would look uh, a bit like those two. Uh, what gentlemen. are these guys like? I, um, you must have interviewed them and talked to them. Are they as bland as they look? Uh, they 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 tend to be robotic in in public. Dave Calhoun has done you know very few uh, unscripted appearances with reporters. Um, Dennis Mullenberg, if if there was a criticism, it's that he uh, presented well, but it, it it was sort of polished and and practiced. And I, I very I, business I school, I, lots yeah. of powerpoints. Yeah, I, I talked to a recruiter you know who had had a dinner with uh, Jim McNerney and was expecting that, you know, he would flash some personality, at least in a, in a business dinner. And, and he, he didn't. And, and his conclusion was that, you know, Jack Welch screwed him up. These were, 
you know, he, he yeah, we're blaming him, everything he on Jack Welsh. I mean, with an A shoe, uh, Jack Welsh isn't even here to defend himself. We can't blame everything on Jack Welsh, can we, Peter? It's we it's a style. It's a, it's a style of management that he right. epitomizes. What about and and again, excuses? Maybe it's a bit of a dumb question, but you mentioned Airbus. I mean, Airbus is a different kind of company operated by uh, EU. It's an EU operation, essentially an ang- uh, a, a European operation, and even the Chinese now are developing their own uh, airline companies like Comac. Um, would it be, I, I've heard this before, would it be fair to say that it's hard for Boeing to compete with companies like Airbus, given that they're supposed to be private, and, and given the scale of this industry, the amount of capital required? I, you know, I, I think that's an argument that Boeing makes. Uh, you, that that argument can be made, but on the other hand, Boeing also gets huge uh, advantages uh, from its defense operation, from you know the billions mm. and billions of dollars that the federal government invests in defense. Air, Airbus doesn't have that, you know, to the same degree, and um, you know, but Boeing for several years, you know, over. Uh, a several year time period uh, spent about $40 billion on stock buybacks. So uh, that can produce a lot of new aircraft. I mean, if a new aircraft costs 10 to 20 billion. So how does your book, uh, Peter, conclude both in terms of this tragedy and in terms of the mismanagement and management of, 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 of Boeing. I mean, they do some good stuff. They, they've got their Starliner, which looks pretty interesting. Um, what would you like to see happen in order to finally close the 737 chapter, uh, the MAX chapter, and also for the company to, to move ahead? Do they simply need new management, new thinking? That would that would be a great start. Uh, you know, according to the people that I've talked to, uh, one thing that they were watching very closely was uh, whether Boeing, but you know, Boeing had moved its headquarters to Chicago uh, many years ago, which was a, kind of a self-conscious uh, move to, uh, mm-hmm. to 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 say that we're creating a you know again GE. Sorry to mention it again, but you know, a, a sort of GE style structure that's separate from these individual operating units where we can make these you, you know. Um, decisions about people's future that don't have to, where you would not have to actually live in the same town uh, where we're making these decisions. Um, people were hoping that Boeing would move its headquarters back to Seattle. Uh, ultimately, the headquarters moved to Arlington, which, you know, seems to send the message that uh, the earlier move uh, didn't work, but let's try moving again, maybe this time close to the government where we can focus on lobbying. Um, it, it just, it just ultimately what Boeing needs is, is the sense that there's a leader who is ethical, who, you know, is deeply invested in, you know, the, the industry that it, that it's in. I don't, I don't think people have been convinced even that Dave Calhoun is, you know, is interested in producing commercial aircraft. There's a, a lot of discussion about, whether the company could ultimately split in two and, and have a, a, a sort of a stable defense side and 
and then the commercial side. And that would certainly be a, you know, financially engineering, a financial engineering style approach that you, you could see happening. I mean, GM went bust um, and it's still not sure. It's still not certain that it will survive. Um, is it conceivable that Boeing will go the way of Detroit or Seattle's Boeing will go the way of Detroit's car industry? What do the unions say about this? Are they innovative? Do they have a voice? Do they have any power? Uh, the, the union's power has steadily been eroded as, as Boeing has moved uh, work to non-union areas and and uh the the unions in the seattle area are are i would say resigned you know to the idea that ultimately that the jobs in this area will atrophy over time um and they they do see the parallel here to to detroit uh at least in terms of aircraft manufacturing um and um yeah ultimately um it's a company that I don't think is it's too big to fail in in some ways because of the defense side but the the commercial aircraft side is is in question especially if Boeing doesn't invest the billions and billions it needs uh to to keep pace in the industry so it's a, it's a very very worrying story in all seriousness isn't it we we did a show with the the uh the fantasy writer Veronica Roth, she has a new book out, um, which imagines in, in, in the future a very desolate world, and she places it in Seattle. Maybe it's not surprising. Maybe she read your book about Boeing. Uh, um, I would, I'd like to read that. Yeah, well. I'm feeling up to it. You need cheering up, Peter. You don't smile enough. I'm not surprised after writing this book, but congratulations. It's a bestseller. It's just out in paperback. It's a really important book. It's, as you suggested, a parable of, of, of late, late stage American capitalism and of the faceless Jack Welsh style characters like Dave Calhoun and uh, Dennis Mullenberg, who seem to have corrupted it, made it rotten. So it's important reading. Congratulations on that. What else are you reading? I hope you don't only read about aircrafts and Boeing. No, I, um, I, I, um, I guess the most recent thing I read was was John Le Carre, uh, the Constant. Oh, Gardner, good. Uh, which you know, I'd, I'd read his spy stuff, uh, and this was one of the first kind of non you know Cold War spy novels I'd read, and it's it's great. It's it's like you know it's a story about you know speaking of companies about skullduggery among drug companies. Uh, it, the the mm. book was written twenty years ago, but it it feels like it could have been written today. Yeah, I actually saw recently saw the movie of that and. The, the oh. farmer, the farmer industry is again no better off than than any of these industries. Yeah, rereading Calhoun and uh, uh, not Calhoun. I've got Calhoun on the brain. Right. He's the he's the CEO, Le Carre. And um, you also mentioned that book on uh, on the American. Uh, yeah, Sir, servants of the damned by by David Enrich. Yeah, that's um, that's just out, um, and that's great. It's about uh, the ultimately primarily the Jones Day law firm and and how this law firm uh became you know the uh uber shield uh to uh big big corporations you'll have to watch uh 
my interview with David. He, he's quite good, and, and, and it's a very, uh, very interesting interview. And, and I hadn't thought of it, but it actually goes well with your book. Great. Yeah, I, I'd love to.